Okay, if we could kick off again now. Just trying to keep to the schedule for the sake of anybody who's watching the live webcast. They're expecting us to be uh, kicking off again at 10 to. Um, I'm going to start with uh, Karen Bultitude and Catherine Aldridge, and then we'll have the, the uh, postponed talk from Emily Dawson. There will be, uh, after Emily's presentation, we'll actually be ending the, the live webcast at that point because um, the uh, things that Stuart um, Dunn is going to be telling us about, um, there's, there's a lot of uh, commercially sensitive things he's going to be revealing to us that uh, he doesn't want recorded or broadcast. <laughs> okay, um, okay, if we could start with Karen and uh, Catherine. Yeah. Hello, I'm um, Catherine Aldridge, and um, until um, very recently I was working with the Science Learning Centres, which were mentioned in the previous talk. And um, I've been, over the last few years, working quite closely with um, John Holman, who's the director for STEM for the Department for Children, Schools and Families. And and I'm still doing some work with him. Um, And so... I thought it would be useful to give everyone a bit of an update in terms of what's happening with the, the STEM program and where things are going. Um, the presentation that we're going to do is in two halves because I'm going to give a bit of an overview of the STEM program more generally. And then um, Karen is, is going to talk more specifically about one aspect of it, which is the STEM directories, which, again, have already been mentioned today. So try not to mention too much stuff that's already been mentioned and, um, and go from there. So um, obviously um, we've already heard about STEM being all about science, technology, engineering, and maths. And um, the STEM program is all about how that works in, in schools, in the classroom, and it's a, it's a big program that's been running for a couple of years now um, with support from the Department for Children, Schools and Families and also the Department for Innovation, University and Skills. And um, leading on from um, what was said earlier um, about STEMnet and activity, the whole community is um, looking at why do we need to think about STEM and encouraging young people towards it? And it's all about the skills agenda and UK PLC. Um, and there's a lot of research that really shows that young people think that all of these subjects are very important and very relevant to the world, but it's not necessarily for them. And so this is all about how do we switch them on um, to thinking that it is for them. Um, the great thing is, um, like all of you here, there are many, many organizations who are interested in this agenda. Um, And on the flip side of that is that there are so many organizations that are interested in um, wanting to contact schools and be involved that sometimes it can be quite a confusing um, place for schools and, um, you know, and trying to um, find your way through all of the different offers and opportunities um, can be quite challenging for teachers. Um, And... um, I think what's um, really exciting about the STEM program is that um, the Department for Children, Schools and Families previously, um, you know, a lot of their agenda was really about the attainment agenda. You know, are they 
are they getting um, better results at the key stage tests and at GCSEs and so on. And but finally, the penny is starting to drop that even if you have fantastic attainment, if um, kids are switched off, um, then they're not going to, to go on to the next um, stage necessarily. So it's all about how do you um, get the engagement factor as well. And a really interesting observation, I think, is, um, you know, talking about, thinking about the different organizations that are involved. And from school's perspective, um, you have, um, in school, the S and the M in STEM are really critical and um, really important and at the forefront of people's minds. Um, but when you're looking at outside the classroom in the world of work, it's the um, technology and the engineering that... Um, that really sort of um, drive the wheels of industry forward. So, um, so you have slightly different perspectives, and it's one of the things that the STEM program is trying to do is to um, to get more of a, a common a common viewpoint and a common understanding about those two things. And so, we have a lot of integration within the STEM program, and um, other people have already mentioned um, this notion of trying to join the STE and M up across. Um, across the curriculum in schools and um, and get the relevance um, between the between the different aspects um, and also joining up what happens in the classroom to the outside world making it um, making it more relevant and then also integrating the efforts of partners to make it um, a little bit more coherent to um, the people who are actually using all the different programs the teachers and the pupils and um, there are there have been identified over 200 different initiatives, um, and there are probably actually a lot more than that. Um, and so, um, in, in trying to think about taking action in um, in, in these different areas, where these have been grouped into 10 action programs with some some foci and that's not to say that there are only going to be 10 initiatives it's very much saying that um that um those 200 initiatives will fit in um one or more of the action programs and it's just a way of thinking about some priorities rather than everyone trying to do everything so the action programs group into a number of themes. The first theme is really all about getting, getting the right teachers and, um, and providing um, teachers with continuing professional development to keep up to date with developments, um, both in, in current research, but also in um, the different sorts of activities and engagement that they can take with, um, with their pupils. So um, one is about recruiting more specialist teachers, and in particular, maths teachers, physics teachers, and chemistry teachers. And the training and development agency is taking a lead on that. And this includes things like the golden hellos and so on. But also, there is a program which is about um, it's a second specialism program to, for um, science teachers who don't have a chemistry or physics background to. Um, convert their skills um, to, to convert their skills and gain subject knowledge around um, physics and, and chemistry. Um, and interestingly, um, there's a there's a financial incentive involved with that. Um, and then um, further action programs, which are about continuing professional development. And we've already heard about the National Science Learning Centre and its network, and the also the NCTM and 
um, project in Thews for anyone, any of you who are um, science teachers or have colleagues who are science teachers. Project in Thews has pumped um, 30 million pounds into um, into professional development, and that will enable teachers to have um, a complete bursary funding for CPD experiences at the National Science Learning Centres. And um, DCSF has also realised that there needs to be some funding available for professional development. And so um, there are bursaries available at the regional science learning centres now as well. And interestingly, um, one of the agendas for CPD um, through the National Science Learning Centre is, um, is actually bringing together these different aspects of STEM. So... Um, so there are a lot of programs which are looking at um, how schools and teachers can think about um, these cross-curricular approaches. And so you mentioned the, um, you know, particularly with things like the new key stage three curriculum, and um, but also things around the diplomas and so on. Um, and so there might be opportunities there for um, the sort of robotics, um, the robotics agenda. And I know Ashley's had some some discussions about. Um, possibly getting involved with the, the science learning centres, which would be great. Um, and then um, there's a fourth action programme, which is about engaging teachers with engineering and technology. And one of the interesting things about the STEM programme is that um, at the beginning of all of this, as you saw with the big S and the big M, um, that was where really where all the focus was, um, was around the science and the maths. And I think through the consultation work that's been done, there's an understanding that more needs to be done around engineering and technology. So um, you will see some things coming through um, around that area and more, and also more integration with for D&T teachers as well um, as the programme um, continues. So the next big strand is really about the enhancement and enrichment of the curriculum. And the, the thinking here really is, is about that getting the engagement and the attainment right. And so, um, and, and that's really the key is the engagement is the key for um, kids carrying on, I think. And, and with the action programs in this area, um, you're looking at all the enhancement and enrichment programs. And there's an organization on the science side called SCORE now, which brings together um, the Association of um, Science Education, the um, Royal Society, um, the Royal Society of Chemistry, the Institute of Physics, and the Biosciences Federation um, to look at, in, a, in a coherent way at the um, well, at all issues around science education and STEM, um, and and linking into government and giving them an idea of what's actually happening on the ground. Um, but of course, STEMnet also operates across all three of those action programs for enhancement and engagement and um, and there's also some work with the Royal Academy of Engineering um, looking at getting the engineering and technology agenda into the curriculum and um, and also the enhancement and engagement agenda um, and then the the eighth action program is something that um, I think a lot of people feel has been neglected for quite some time and that's really about making all the connections to um, careers and um, and looking at um, how we can encourage young people to, um, to to make those subject choices so that they will continue in, in science and and technology and engineering and maths and I think 
um, a big thing there is a realization that um, you know this stuff actually, the stuff about careers really needs to be linked into what um, people are doing in the curriculum and so you know this sort of comment that the maths and the science and the technology are all in separate boxes and then you know careers is another separate box um, often and so it's it's about connecting all of those things in with useful ways as the um, chap earlier was talking about and to tackle this DCSF is um, they've been running a big program um, media campaign called look what you can do with them um, and you might have see, seen and heard this on um, TV and radio, um, which is basically showing uh, it's all targeted at young people and showing them the sorts of things they can do with these, these subjects. Um, and there's also um, a project which is going on, which is taking 30 schools around the country, all in quite different situations. And it's looking at that over the three years of Key Stage 3, how um, young people how schools and young people can um, plan um, what's called an en enhancement and enrichment timeline so that instead of having, you know, an activity that one teacher plans um, on robotics and another activity which is, you know, um, some sort of trip to a science centre and another um, activity which is a um, science and engineering ambassador coming in, the idea is that um, that teachers actually think and plan that over the course of the three years of Key Stage 3, there are a whole range of different, um, of different um, um, opportunities that kids get to hear about different things. They get to um, get exposure to different sorts of careers um, and also that these things are planned across the S, the T and the E and the M and perhaps some of the, the teaching is planned cohesively as well. So... Um, so it would be interesting to see what these 30 schools come out with. And what's really nice about it is, for once, DCSF has also um, said, well, actually, let's do something instead of it being just over one school year. Let's do a program so we can actually see with a cohort of kids, um, you know, what happens from when they start at, um, at 11 and then go through to 14. Let's actually see what, what happens. So there's that project going on, and that's being led by the University of Warwick, and then there's another um, big project going on, which is called um, Choice and Careers. And this is being led by the Centre for Science Education at Sheffield Hallam. And it's using what's called a multiple worlds model, which is really saying, well, you know, kids don't just go to school, and that's not, that's not the only influence on them. There are all these other things going on in their life. So they've got you know, the, the concept of self, um, which is being um, influenced by education and guidance, by family, by friends, um, and, of course, by mass media and culture. And it's, um, it's, it's starting to look at, um, at how to address um, careers advice and guidance through that sort of a model. And so the project... Um, is going to be looking at and reviewing and developing resources um, of a whole range of um, of a whole range. Include and one of the big aspects is going to be the, around this economic well-being because um, what what's um, quite apparent is that a lot of young people just don't have the awareness that you know a lot of the the jobs that they can do as a result of um, studying STEM actually lead to the big bucks and you know that over over time um, they 
it's, it's well documented that um, people who have a STEM background on average earn more than, um, than those who don't. So, um, and that, that, that's a, a big potential, potential driver. Um, so they're going to be looking at resources um, and they're going to be looking at professional development for teachers. Um, sorry, that might have been a bit, um, a bit crude, um, sort of talking about the big bucks there, but, um, but that's what the research shows. And, um, and you know, and the, the, the project is about really about knitting all these things together and improving the state of careers, um, information, advice and guidance. And... The idea as well is that there are a couple of main um, websites that have information about careers. Um, one is um, Future Morph, which previously was called Careers from Science, and then also the Centre website. And um, what's interesting there is that um, all of these, uh, there are a whole suite of um, websites that are all managed by the ETB, and they're all being structured similarly. So if an if a partner organisation is wanting to contribute web profiles and so on, and maybe the robotics community wants to, or maybe they already have, I can't, my ignorance here, um, you know, looking at um, submitting career profiles to one of these websites, then um, because they're structured the same, it can go on to quite a lot of different websites all at the same time. So that's the careers angle, um, and I think that, that's really just kicked off, and I think over the next um, couple of years there are going to be some really interesting developments around there and something to keep, keep an eye on. And then um, there are also some action programs in the STEM program about the curriculum, and, um, and this is about providing access, um, um, the first one particularly to more able and interested pupils to be able to study triple science at GCSE and to do the double maths GCSE. And then also um, SCORE, again, is doing some work looking at improving the quality of practical work in science, and they've commissioned a review of the research which has been done by um, Justin Dillon at King's. And, um, and I think that's, um, you know, there are lots of things that are always said about the importance of practical work, um, but the, when you get down to it and you actually look at what the research says, there isn't actually a lot, there isn't, um, well, that's why they're doing the review is because people couldn't um, put their fingers on it easily as to what is it about practical work that is actually really important. And you can also be doing a lot of um, practical work which isn't necessarily engaging and stimulating and um, moving things forward. Um, but that's a whole big story. Um, and then finally, there's a, a sort of overarching um, action program which is about connecting all of the different schemes together and we've heard a bit about that and I think that's starting to happen you know we've seen with the um, after school science and engineering clubs some of the different providers are working more more together to um, do something that will influence and support a whole range of schools rather than everyone um, chipping in with their their own little bit and um, you know and I think um, hooking into the STEM program as the robotics community could be a really, um, really great thing. So, you're, you know, you're not having to have the conversation multiple times. Um, and, um, you know, I think there are ways to really join in the debate. And 
there is a, what's an online STEM forum, and I'd really encourage you to go and visit this because this is looking at all the big questions around the STEM program. It's chaired by um, Sir Brian Follett, who also chairs the high-level strategy, um, the high-level strategy group for the STEM program, and it's got all the that includes all the great and the good. Um, but he posts big questions up on that forum um, about. STEM education and the issue, the really big questions and issues and what can we actually practically do to make a difference. And then anyone who joins the STEM forum can, um, you know, can contribute and then whoever is moderating each question um, will sum, sum that up and that gets presented up to the high-level strategy group. So it is a way to have your, your voice heard and, um, and to contribute to um, finding ways of actually solving the problems um, rather than just talking about the problems. And also, if you're interested in how things are developing around the diplomas, which, um, which you mentioned as well, um, there is an event on the 21st of November, and all the details are on that STEM forum um, site, so there's another opportunity to find out more about what's happening. And if you want to... Find out more about this because I've done a whistle-stop tour over quite a, a lot of um, different programs that you know involve lots and lots of different organisations. If you do want to um, find out any more, then feel free to get in touch with me, and um, and I'll do what I can to help put you in touch with um, with people or give you more information. So I'm going to hand over to Karen now, who's going to talk about um, some of the integration with the enhancement and enrichment programs that's been happening and. Um, and specifically the STEM directories. So over to Karen. Okay, hello everybody. Um, so before we sort of mention it very briefly then, can I just get a show of hands as to who'd actually heard of the STEM directories before today? Quite a few people, excellent. But there's also quite a few people here who haven't. So I'll keep this fairly brief, but I obviously will be around um, to chat about this if anybody has any further questions later on today. The STEM directories is something that's been coming for a little while. It's a sort of major part or, or really embedded into the STEM program that Catherine's just talked about. Um, the production of these directories has been led by a consortium of three organisations, um, led by the Royal Institution of Great Britain, um, in partnership with the British Association for the Advancement of Science and the University of the West of England in Bristol, which is where I work. So we've been um, developing these directories since about last February, although the sort of idea behind it has been coming for a little bit longer. And in fact, I think somebody mentioned before, um, it, the, the, the first kind of example of this was really the Royal Academy of Engineering had something called Shape the Future, which some of you may have come across. So what exactly are the STEM directories? Well, for those of you who don't know, it's all about trying to collect all this information about all these different activities together in one place rather than in a thousand places all around the country. So all the information comes into a single resource that is accessible and specifically designed for teachers. So all the information about the providers is available to these teachers, and it's, it's very specifically about activities which enhance and enrich the curriculum. So we're not talking about things that are you know, solely focused on teaching the curriculum. It's, it's things that extend a little bit further and really enrich the student's experience. So there's actually three separate directories. Um, I have brought them here with me. I've only got one copy, but they are available from a website that I'm going to give you at the end for you to order your own copies if you want them. Um, so there's a science directory, 
a maths directory and an engineering and technology directory. Um, they're in hard copy at the moment and they're also downloadable in PDF format. But as of spring next year, they're going to go online. We've had the final agreement from government about that um, in the last couple of weeks. They're going to go on as a purely on online resource so that people can um, access all the information, can search for all sorts of different criteria that they want and really be a very usable and very functional system rather than being you know, something that somebody files in the bin. So I think that's a really nice um, way to take it forwards. At the moment, because the first impetus was all about having it in hard copy, um, they contain UK-wide, so very, very large schemes, obviously, as, all, as well as the larger regional schemes. So the sort of stuff on a slightly more local scheme isn't included in the directories yet, because obviously, you know, that would be a book about this big. But the idea is that when it does go online, all those sorts of activities that are happening on a more local basis will be included as well. And what's really important, I think, from a teacher's perspective is that everything that's in these directories has actually satisfied some very, very key criteria. So in particular, things like the people who are involved have had criminal records bureaus checks, if that's appropriate. They uh, reflect on what they're doing. They gain feedback from teachers. They, they um, learn from what they're doing and evaluate the, the work that's going on. It is linked into the curriculum in some way, and that might be, you know, in multiple ways. I mean, the, the whole idea of this is to try and integrate these four subjects together much more strongly. Um, and things like, you know, they, they follow appropriate risk assessment procedures and, you know, all those sorts of things. So teachers can be confident that all of the schemes that are actually included in the directories have satisfied all these different criteria and that they are very valuable. And something which I think is really important is that all of the schemes that are in the directories have actually got funding for the next year. So they are able to be offered. Because what we don't want is a resource of stuff where, you know, if a teacher rings up a provider, they say, sorry, I can't actually do that. It needs to be stuff that actually is able to, to be delivered and able to go out there. So when the um, providers gave the information, that they signed up to all these different criteria. Um, that's not to say that teachers, that, that they're free. A lot of the, the activities actually charge for their time. The details of how much they charge is written within the directories themselves. So what, what I'm saying is that they have the capacity to deliver over the next year and they are something that's going to last for that year. They're not something that's just going to sort of disappear very quickly. And what we've specifically done is, is included a whole pile of uh, very useful resources at the rear of the directory. So it's not just you know, throwing together um, a list. It's also got you know, in, just hints and tips about how teachers can use this effectively. So it's all sort of thinking about how teachers might use this and trying to sort of very much keep them in mind. So just to give you a quick look at um, how the directory is structured, this is a sort of explanation of, of, of an entry. And in this particular case, it's coming from the maths directory. But you can see on the top left there, we've got um, all the different subjects from the curriculum that are colour-coded. And if you can't read that very clearly, don't worry, you can come and have a look at the hard copy later. But basically, each subject is coded by colour. Um, and then when you actually have a look at the specific entry it will have that little box colour-coded. And you can see this sort of little blue box there that actually says MA in it, although it's not very clear on that screen. That indicates that this particular activity hits the maths part of the curriculum. Now, a lot of the activities actually hit lots of different parts of the curriculum, so it gives a teacher a very quick visual clue as to you know, what area of the curriculum this comes from. Um, what's really useful for teachers, though, is this sort of part down the bottom here, where we're talking about the preparation time. So we've got, sorry, I've already talked about these, the key section, the subjects that are covered, um, the curriculum areas, so the more specific areas that are covered, and then this preparation time part at the bottom there, which tells the teacher 
a few different things. So it tells them how much time they need to put in to actually prepare the activity, how much time it actually takes to run the activity, because obviously those two are quite different things and quite critical for teachers to know, and as I said before, the cost. Now, that may change a little bit over the course of the year, but you know that was up to date as of June 2008. Also, at the front of the directories, we have this lovely map which, in, which gives a whole scale of all the sorts of different things that are provided in science, in maths, or in engineering and technology. This one actually comes from the engineering and um, technology directory, and this map um, specifically relates to UK-wide schemes. And you can see along the bottom there, we've got a scale of increasing time commitment. So the teacher can look at it very, very quickly and can see, you know, how much time have I got to actually commit to this resource? Have I got weeks, you know, or, or you know, a, an extended period of time with these students, or have I got a very short period of time? And then up the, the right-hand side there, we've got um, it, it broken down into different age groups, so particularly by the different key stages. Now, because this is aimed at the UK, uh, the UK audience rather than just a specific English audience, obviously we've had to take into account Scottish hires and things like that. So it's done by age group rather than by key stage three, key stage four, which some of you might be more familiar with. The colours actually correspond to the type of activity. So that kind of dark blue colour there means that it's a competition. And as you might expect, the competitions tend to be a little bit more time intensive. So that's why they're kind of over at the left-hand side of the scale there. But as I said, come and have a look if you want to sort of know a little bit more about um, all of this, because I do have hard copies to show people later on. There's also an index at the back, which lists all of the different activities. And this is a really quick resource that teachers can go, right, I want an activity for my, um, you know, year 11, sorry, age 11 students. Um, I'd like it to be in something to do with biology um, and, you know, preferably linking into, well, no, sorry, and because, and you know, I live in the East Midlands, so I'd like to, to have it delivered here. And so they can quickly look at this index and find the activities that are appropriate to them. And this index, again, exists in, obviously, all of the directories, although that's what maths one there. There are already quite a few robotics activities that are in here, but, I, you know, in terms of how many that I'm aware of exist, I think we're probably up and underrepresented at the moment. I think there's plenty more robotics activities that probably could go in there. Um, but other people that I know are here at the moment, so the, the Imagineering's in there, um, and certainly um, different organisations have had a lot of input into this, so different engineering organisations and things like that as well. So what's happening next? Well, we're currently undergoing a big programme of consultation. So those of you who are providers who have put your entries in, you'll probably be aware that it was quite an intensive process to actually get the entries put into the directories. It was a very long kind of online form that you had to fill in. And we have already had some feedback about that process, but we're really, really keen to find out how we can optimise that process to make sure that it works for the providers really well. Of course, we also need to make sure that this is working for teachers. So we're undergoing quite a stringent study at the moment, trying to work out how can we make this work best for the teachers, you know, because they are the key audience for it. So we're gathering all that feedback together and trying to feed that into this next online stage. So what we're really looking for at the moment is what's going to work for you in terms of turning this online? What kind of features do you want to see? There's a few people who suggested things like having an Amazon-style rating system where people give stars if they really you know, liked an activity and they can put comments about how it really worked for them or you know, maybe what aspects of it weren't you know, so relevant to their particular situation so that teachers can see it and can really you know, trust how this might work in their particular situation. But some people have issues about that. So, you know, if you want to have input into it, now's your opportunity. 
And as I said before, we're going to launch this online. So there's actually going to be um, a launch for providers, so pe for people who want to be in the directories in about March next year. Um, and we will send that out as widely as possible. But if you want to be kept informed of that, then do contact the email address that I'm going to give at the end so that we can make sure that you're in touch. Um, and then in about May next year, this is all going to go absolutely online in this, in this very um, functional website system that we're developing, um, which is likely to be hosted in association with STEMnet and some of the ETB site, developed sites that, that Catherine's just talking about. So we are trying to kind of integrate all this together and link it all together and make sure that you know, we're not, um, that we're taking advantage of all these different things that exist and not wasting time developing another website. So in terms of finding out more, that's the, the website at the top there is where you can order your own copies of the directory. Um, you can also find out all sorts of different bits and pieces about it. You can get download PDF versions of it, you know, immediately. Um, and you can also register to be kept informed about opportunities if you're a provider who wants to then contribute to the directories later on. As I said before, we're really, really keen to get feedback either on the existing directories or the process of being involved in them or how you see it might work for you in the future. So um, that's the email address to use for any of that kind of feedback information. That's all I've got to say about the STEM directories, but if there's any questions that anybody's got, either about these specifically or about the STEM program more generally, then I'm sure Catherine or I will be very happy to answer them. Everybody looks a bit dazed, so... <laughs> Joined up thinking, it's amazing. Stuart. I just want, Stuart Dan, uh, I'm just wondering if you've got any examples of the application form because I, I hear that's a big problem. So if we don't get a feel for it, uh, I presume there's one online we can it's look at. It's changing. It is the, 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 the original application form, because I said you had, we had to have all these different criteria that people needed to, to hit. They needed to provide evidence, for example, of their health and safety policies and things like that. And that's the main issue that people had, is that it took them a long time to gather all that information together. I mean, partly I think that's um, you know, dependent on the providers themselves. So some people have all that information to hand and some people really struggle to, to find that kind of information. Um, but it is something that I'm really concerned with. I mean, I sort of see myself in terms of this project, I see myself representing the provider's interests, really. And so what I'm really keen to do is optimise that process as much as possible. And what? I have had a lot of feedback about it being quite a long form to complete and there being a lot of details that needed to go in there. Why do you have to do all that if you're offering a free online service which doesn't really hit those buttons because it's endorsed completely by the stem program and by all the lead organizations of the engineering the maths and the science communities so if you think about all you know, there's, there's something like 500 organizations in total that are represented as providers mm. but also in terms of reputation so things like you know the engineering no i don't mean that i mean if a provider is offering something on mm -hmm. their website as a free offering yep. to the public but it's useful for this. Why are they having to fill in one of these forms if it's about a, if it's a web health resource, checks and things when they don't need it? If it's a web resource, then it's not in the directories. So that's, the only things that are in directories excluded. are actually what we the, the sort of definition that we had in the end was it had to involve a warm body. So a person <laughs> had to be involved. <laughs> So, yeah, if, it, if it's a web resource, we do, have, <laughs> we do have a list at the back of online resources, which um, 
which is, is things that are specifically only, you know, a website that, that people can go and, you know, get information or, or teaching materials or that kind of thing. But if it's the thing, the thing, the activities that are actually, or the schemes that are actually within the directories are all things that are directly delivered to audiences in some way. So that's why we have to have these, these health and safety policies and all these other kind of elements. Okay, thank you. Okay, well, I'll keep these around. So if anybody wants to come in, I don't know, I know Kate's already got her fingers out to have a look at them. Um, what I'll do is I'll leave them out in the, um, in the sort of exhibition se- session. Please don't run off with them, because obviously that means that other people can't look at them. Um, but as I said, you can get them all for free yourself. So, cheers. Great, thank you. Thank you to both Catherine and Karen. There's a wealth of information there in that uh, presentation. We've slipped slightly behind schedule, but it doesn't really matter because uh, we've uh, got a bit of spare time before the lunch break. Um, Emily's going to give a talk now about talk, talking robots, followed by Stuart Dunn. Okay. Hi. So, um, so my name's Emily Dawson. Um, those of you who were here last year might uh, remember me talking about this project when it was just beginning. Um, right. Um, so um, just to clarify for everyone, I used to be at the Science Communication Unit at UWE along with Claire and Karen, um, and I'm now in the Science Education Unit at King's. Um, and this project is a project that we ran um, from, I think it was May 2007 through to this August. Um, this is just... Uh, so that you can see who was there. So um, in the top we have Claire Wilkinson, who some of you may or may not know. She um, does a lot of social research. Then I was the research associate, and Karen was um, one of the co-investigators. And this project was funded by the Economic and Social Research Council, um, which perhaps gives you a bit of a clue about the kinds of things we were looking for. So what I've been very conscious this morning, listening to all of the lovely presentations, is that Um, The focus of this is slightly different to that of pure science education and where robotics can fit into science education. So we were looking more broadly at different kinds of public engagement with a focus on robotics. And within that, we were looking at public attitudes towards engagement and also some data about public attitudes towards robots, which um, might be quite interesting for some of your work. So... Why are we looking at robots in terms of public engagement? And now these first two themes um, are obviously very uh, apparent in our culture at the moment, but they also came up from a lot of the interview data that we've been analysing, which is why we've put them at the front of this presentation. Um, So as far as the industrial settings go, there are an enormous number of robots um, now being used in industry, and that was one of the things that the people that we talked to in our interviews at these engagement events they had really picked up on that. So there was a sort of a double focus, both in terms of the fact that uh, robots were perceived as being involved in industry and that there was, a sort of, uh, there was an awareness of how robots' um, roles in industry had perhaps conflicted in some way with um, people's roles in industry, which is quite interesting. Um, the area of service and domestic robots was another one that came up from the people we spoke to. Um, obviously, as you can see here, there, there are a large number of domestic robots in operation. Um, And uh, I heard a joke last week at the Dana Centre about the large number of robotic hoovers and lawnmowers, which 
is slightly perhaps um, not the first thing you might think about when you talk about robots, but interestingly, it does come up in the um, the people we talk to who are uh, audiences at these public engagement events about robots. So people are aware of domestic situations where robots might be in use already, and domestic situations in service industries were areas where people felt robots could be used in the future or could make an impact. So the other reason we were looking at robotics, um, which is very relevant to this group, is in terms of public engagement, um, firstly, the Science Communication Unit, obviously, we have very close links with the Walking with Robots network, um, so it was felt that that might be something that we could involve in the research project that we already had good links to. Um, the second thing I'd really like to highlight in this audience is that one of the things when you do research projects, it does involve you often in engagement, um, ringing up people that you don't necessarily know already and asking very nicely if you can come and have a look at what they're doing and if they don't mind awfully giving you some time and, and trying to see what connections you can make and where you might be able to pull your data from. And one of the things that really stood out in this project was how willing and friendly and helpful the robotics community were in um, allowing us to be involved in their engagement activities and their educational activities and I think that was my phone turning itself off, sorry. Um, and how when people were putting something on, not only were they happy to email me and let me know if I didn't already, but if I happened to find something in one of my many internet searches, people were very, very willing to allow us to come along and it was a relatively... Um, intensive process for us which we hope gave them some feedback but we were really appreciative of the welcome we had from that community. The other two interesting things about robotics and public engagement are that robots are in an unusual situation where they can actually participate in the engagement themselves. So in a number of the engagement uh, events we attended it involved not only some humans or warm bodies as Karen referred to us as um, and the public, but also actual robots being used in these situations, whether it's uh, a summer school or whether it's an exhibition. Um, often the robots are actually involved in that engagement process, which is quite interesting. Um, and there's also quite a lack of research on this area in terms of social research on what public attitudes are towards robots and how, um, how people feel about them, whereas there is quite specific concentration on um, robot, human-robot human interaction studies, but that's very specific. So we were looking at engagement for policymakers and for the engagement community. Engagement itself is slightly different to education, slightly different to the decision-making practices, but seen as a gold standard. But that gold standard is quite difficult to achieve. It can be time-consuming, and there's no definition, really, of engagement, which is quite a big problem. Um, and there are real concerns in engagement about whether or not the deficit model is still at work, what um, difficulties people still perhaps experience between the relationships between experts and publics, um, how people who are involved as publics or audiences in these events, how they feel about the actual event or the engagement, um, and how you might turn public engagement or public engagement events into a more policy-oriented decision-making format. And these are some of the things we talked to when we were talking um, with people at these events. Um, so in terms of the broader public engagement context, as you've seen with the sort of the, the education networks, there's been a joining up, and this joining up has been recognised as a need 
within um, the science communication, the science engagement practitioner community. Um, and perhaps moves are being made in this direction with the uh, launch of the Beacons for Public Engagement, which some of you may know about, but that um, can be seen as a sort of large financial and policy endorsement of the concept of engagement and the need for more structure and sharing of learning. So the two aims that the project had were to examine different engagement strategies and their uses and their effectiveness. And we used robotics as a particular focus within engagement because obviously there's a really wide spread of engagement, not just within science but within a number of different subjects now. Uh, and while we were there, we wanted to look at ex existing attitudes towards robotics and how people felt about the potential social impact of robots in their lives now and robots perhaps in the future. So some of this, um, please feel free to ask me later, but I'm aware that this isn't your main uh, perhaps interest in terms of education, so I'll race through the methodology and the methods. Um, we were very exploratory in nature. That means we were primarily qualitative. We uh, involved sections of secondary analysis of other evaluations that had been done on engagement events that we had attended, um, but we did not try and develop a framework or an analysis system to categorize engagement activities or events, which has been done and we may do some analysis on, but we felt that within the sort of the exploratory sampling we were involved with, it perhaps wouldn't have made sense. Um, so we didn't try and systematize what we were looking at. And the kinds of events we looked at were very broadly different. Um, so we looked at 11 different engagement projects, um, and these, these projects were found and made links to via the Walking with Robots network and other robotics networks. So um, we found a large number of people who were really happy to allow us to involve them in our project, which was really brilliant. Um, and what we did was we tried to find quite a range of events so that we could contrast the different kinds of audiences, the different kinds of delivery, different lengths of time, different kinds of involvement, and different locations. Um, this meant we did uh, two participant structured observations at 11 events. We videoed eight of the events, and we did um, a large number of interviews. So we did 57 interviews with audience participants, um, 57, uh, sorry, 11 events with the people doing the engagement or running the activity, and 13 events with the people who'd organized the activity. And we felt that gave a good range of perspectives on what the engagement was and how it worked. So these are some of the engagement events we went to. Um, we went to the Science Museum to look at the different kinds of static robotic ex exhibits involved in their displays. Um, we went to um, the Science Museum up in Newcastle to look at a robotics exhibition there. We went to some science cafes on um, artificial intelligence. We uh, have been to some events at the Dana Center, um, as well as the Visions Conference that Walking with Robots organized, which had more of a policy um, angle. And we went to um, the Robotics Summer School that Steve, who was in the front and has since disappeared. Oh, there you go. He's missed his picture on screen. Um, so that just gives you an idea of the breadth of events that we went to. So we tried to contrast the aims from more political aims to more educative aims um, to sort of uh, aims to coax students into science, but also just family fun days and that kind of um, use of robotics in science centres. 
So one of the examples that I'm going to try and show you now, which is mildly experimental, um, is one of the video examples, which I just want to show you so that you can see how how this kind of information can be quite interesting. So I've not got the sound on because sound quality turned out to be something very difficult to capture. Um, but what you can see in this, this is the exhibition in Newcastle with a large um, sort of humanoid robot hanging in the front, moving, and there are um, motion sensors all around it. And at the very beginning, you can see the, the small boy starting to make movements, which are echoed by the robot exhibit. And then he and his father go through a process of echoing the robot and figuring out how that works and doing it together um, and pressing. And that, that exhibit was used in very interesting ways, and the differences between how young people and how older people used it was quite fascinating. Um, so those videos um, were... Is that me? No, that's not me at all. There we go. Um, sorry. So we got rather a large number of videos, and one of the things um, that came up in the analysis is that we had such quantity of video that we've been using it more as a fieldwork note system than at the moment as a sort of unit of analysis. So at the moment we've concentrated on the video data um, which, not video data, the interview data, which we've been coding to try and see which kinds of themes came up and who, who thought what about robots and what about engagement. Um, the video data we intend to analyse using a momentum analysis, so we want to look at moments where there was a change in the, in the feeling of the engagement. Um, and one thing I would like to just say before anybody gets um, perhaps uh, too excited about the video data is that we, um, I have experienced during the course of this project a lot of interest in video data because it seems very exciting. And I know some people have, have talked to me about how useful this would be in evaluating individual projects. And one word of warning I'd like to give um, broadly to anybody who's thinking along those lines is that it's very difficult to handle the data at the end. So if you are going to use evaluation, I would suggest perhaps a more um, traditional method because humans are very flexible in a way that video cameras are not. Um, so the reason the second slide, uh, the picture at the bottom changed is the reason we want to look at momentum and we think it might be a really useful way of looking at things is that some of the events that we went to, um, nothing happened. So this particular example was of an art installation using a robot up in Newcastle. Um, and you, it was very interesting because you can see simply from this picture how the engagement perhaps didn't work. So they had this engagement set up outside with um, fencing, which you can just see in the corner, all the way around the, the edge. Um, the only access point to this exhibition was through an alarmed fire exit door, which, as you can see in the foreground, says, fire exit only, this door is alarmed. So it wasn't the kind of thing that coaxed people out to look at it. And it's a very obvious... I mean, if you're looking at barriers to engagement, there's a sort of classic barrier to engagement there. Um, but we have included that in the sample because... Those kinds of themes are actually really, the little practical details have been very interesting to look at and um, do lead to good shared learning. So this picture is essentially a picture of the codes that we've elicited from looking at the interview data. So um, what I've done next is just got a couple of quotes where just to try and open that up to you a bit rather than going through it all at length and in detail. 
Um, but we've managed to find a lot of uh, different areas where people have been able to talk quite interestingly about their aims or motivations. So aims and motivations both in attending and putting on these kinds of activities. Um, how people have felt about robots and what, what kinds of images and feelings that's conjured up. Um, the different, different kinds of attitudes that people have expressed towards science and technology um, have been very interesting in that respect. Uh, the engagement behaviours and the practicalities, like I just described, have been quite interesting. Um, and they've ranged from uh, issues of collaboration, issues of design, um, and then also what people themselves have got out of engagement and, and how they've found that process to work. Um, where the policy role of public engagement might fit into this picture has been quite interesting. Um, and the large feeling amongst the people we've spoken to when we've asked that question has been one of confusion and that, that it's a difficult question that nobody has a really clear answer to and that publics have difficulty seeing as a process. Um, and then finally, the sort of the synergy between robotics and public engagement and how robotics as a field lends itself very ably to public engagement um, for all the reasons of you know, obvious enthusiasm within the community the interest, I mean, we've talked widely this morning, essentially, is about using robotics as a hook for students into science, technology, engineering, and maths. So obviously it has a certain appeal. And there was a real feeling amongst public engagement organizations involved in organizing these events. The robotics was always very popular and was very popular with their publics. So I'm going to end by just showing a couple of quotes, which the two I've picked out for this morning, I think are particularly interesting for this community. Um, so I won't read the whole thing, but I think what's quite interesting in this is um, the interviewee, Elspeth. She suggests, well, I don't know whether this would be possible anyway, um, but in the labs, you know, I'd like it to be a two-way thing. Uh, he comes to us and tells us about robotics and stuff, and it would be quite nice for us to come and tell him what we think about it, you know? Ask more questions, because we didn't have a lot of time for questions. But I suppose that's all allotted, you know, and they think the poor things will get tired. So this one, I think, is really interesting, just in showing how engaged the publics can be, both in the actual research, what research decisions get made, and actually going in and being involved in the research process and with science, and how sometimes um, with public engagement events, there is, um, there is a... There is, an, on occasion, op opportunities where we underestimate, perhaps, our audiences. We underestimate their interests and we underestimate their abilities. And this, this was um, a group of pensioners, so that, I think, is what she's linking to the idea of the poor things might get tired, where, of course, she's saying, not at all, we'd be very interested. Um, so this is, this is the idea of the lingering model of the, the deficit model and where it still plays, perhaps, quite a large part in engagement and how we might start to make engagement more of a two-way communication process. Um, and the second one, I think, is particularly interesting for robotics because one of the kinds of questions we ask people were, well, what, how do you feel about robots? How do you envisage robots? What kinds of things come to mind when you talk about robots um, and when you think about them? And a lot of people were starting off with very sort of simplistic, uh, often humanoid uh, descriptions, but it was quite evident that in a lot of the engagement events, the engagement event itself had complicated uh, the simple description of a robot and developed something far more sophisticated for the audiences. So Jackie's saying, oh yeah, when you think about the robot now, it could just be anything, not necessarily that robot figure, it's anything to do with that. 
So she's developed a, a much broader perception of what robots are and what they could be from taking part in a public engagement event. And whilst obviously that's not part of a, a longitudinal impact study, I think that does highlight certain interesting things about engagement and what people get from it. So I will stop there. Um, if anybody has any questions, I'd be delighted to take them. And thank you very much for your time. I'm waiting eagerly for something. Uh, it's not so much a question, perhaps, as a contribution, but I think uh, that point about a, a questioning, provoking mm. interaction. Um, in the Imagineering Clubs, we have uh, a lot of volunteer engineers mm. who definitely don't see themselves as teachers, mm. um, but they talk a little bit at the beginning of the practical sessions about how it works, how it relates to the real world. Mm. Um, and I was encouraged them, and they naturally do this, mm. is asking questions of the children. So you're actually pulling their engagement, yeah. and, and really you're saying it's the same thing mm. in a sense with... Uh, the wider public engagement. Yeah, and I think the issue there as well is, is of asking questions of your public or your students is the issue of you're valuing their contribution mm. and that one of the quite interesting things that came up, because obviously we're very aware of the idea of deficit model in public engagement, which um, for those of you who haven't had to read it in a thousand papers, is about um, public engagement is just pouring information onto the public and not necessarily being interested in what the public has to say in return. Um, and one of the very interesting things was that there was a definite feeling amongst different audiences that they were very interested in listening to people talk and listening to other people ask questions without necessarily always wanting to ask a question themselves, but that the opportunity to ask a question or the opportunity to have a, more of an in-depth conversation was welcome, even if they didn't always take it up, which is quite interesting. Okay, thank you. I'll sit down now. <laughs>